0: John chapter 4, verses 31 to 42. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. For the glory of your Son, Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you look at verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. The Greek word there, translated testimony, is the same word that's often translated as witness, to bear witness. And so our passage this morning is about witnessing. One of the themes that has come up a couple times in the Gospel of John is that theme of witness. At the beginning of this Gospel, we read that John the Baptist came as a witness, to bear witness about the light. Later on, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he says, I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. And then this was followed shortly after by the witness of Andrew, who found his brother Simon, who we know as Peter, and says, we found the Messiah. And then in chapter 3, we have Jesus witnessing to the Pharisee Nicodemus. And then here in chapter 4, Jesus witnesses to this woman at the well. This woman believes, and then she goes out and witnesses important to John that Christians be witnesses for Jesus and his gospel. It's important to Jesus as well because he says in Luke chapter 24, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. It's important to Jesus that We, as believers, witness about him. We see that God's saving plan relies on Christ's death, Christ's resurrection, and the witness of Christ's church. And so, for those of you who are taking notes, I've structured the sermon into three different sections. In verses uh, 31 to 34, we'll see the food for witnessing. In verses 35 to 38, we will see the focus of witnessing. In verses 39 to 42, we will see the fruit of witnessing. And the main point, what I hope you see in the text this morning is this, is that faithful witnesses are hungry for God's will. They see the harvest and invite others to come to Jesus. Jesus. We aim to be faithful witnesses, not just occasional witnesses. Faithful witnesses are hungry for God's will. They see the harvest, and they invite others to come to Jesus. So we left off last week with the disciples coming back to the well with the food that they had purchased. And they see Jesus alone with this Samaritan woman. And in verse 27, it says that they marveled that he was talking with her. They marveled because it says here in the text that Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. They marveled because rabbis don't speak with women in public. They marveled because they knew that this was the wrong time for this woman to be at the well. And so she must be a shady character. But nobody said anything. And then in that moment, this woman who had come to draw water from the well leaves her water jar, her water jar that symbolized her empty and sinful life and goes out eager to share what she just experienced. In verse 29, she says, "'Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ?' She drew attention to the one who exposed her sin and invited others to come and see. Instead of being ashamed of her past, she publicly admits her sin in order to show that Jesus is the savior of sinners. It's important to to note here that this woman became one of the first missionaries. She went home and witnessed To her entire village about Jesus. Christianity involves much more than leaving a worldly and sinful life, it involves a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and then also telling others about Him. The gospel is personal, but it's not private. And so what happens as a result of her witness? The people of the town start coming to Jesus. You have this scene of the people of the town hearing this woman's testimony. No doubt many of these people know about her immorality, and yet they saw a change in her. And so the people are leaving town, heading towards this well. And then the writer John cuts to a different scene. We see that in verse 31. Meanwhile the disciples were urging him saying rabbi eat so now our attention's drawn back to this well where the disciples have returned with the food and they're concerned jesus is not eating so often we are like the disciples they weren't desiring for the salvation of those around them they wanted to take a break from ministry I have an important side note before we move on. I understand that there are two kinds of people in this room, two kinds of Christians, which means there's two kinds of dangers that Christians can fall into. On the one hand, we can make ourselves so busy with ministry that we're not good for anyone. We think that if I don't do this, then no one else will. People will leave our church if this ministry dies out. This type of thinking makes us forget that God is sovereign. This type of thinking burns us out. Remember, Jesus himself often pulled himself away from the crowds, spent time with the Father in prayer. Sometimes people are so involved in so much ministry that they don't have time to sit at the feet of Jesus. And that's not okay. And so if that's where you're at this morning, I want you to hear it's okay to take a break. It's okay to take a break. Don't add on to what you're already doing. So that's one danger that some of us fall into. But then there are those who don't want to give themselves to the work that God has for them. Because I've got other things to do. I've got other plans in my life I've got a short time here on earth, and I don't want to waste my time doing that. And the disciples are falling into this in this moment. They come back, and all they're thinking about is food. They're not focused on Christ's mission. They're not concerned about a world that is lost in sin. They're not concerned about looking for opportunities to reach people for God. Their minds were on the physical. Their minds were on food. On not missing a meal, on satisfying a temporary craving of the body. And so we see in this section what is the food for witnessing? The disciples left Jesus at this well. He was weary, he was thirsty, he was hungry. And now they're back, and Jesus isn't eating. And we don't even know if Jesus actually even drank water from the woman. And so they say, Rabbi, eat. And notice what Jesus says here. He said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Who brought him a sandwich? Food that we don't know about? We just went to the store. Did he order delivery? They didn't have delivery back then. Just want to be clear. Maybe they did, I don't know. Jesus is completely caught up in this moment. This moment that happened at the well. What happened? A broken sinner has now come to Jesus. Think about this. He has waited since eternity passed. For this moment. Remember, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jesus had to go through Samaria. That was the plan all along. He's not focused on his physical needs right now. Honest question Have you ever been so interested in something or so focused on something that you have forgotten to eat? I guess not many of you, I guess I'm the only one here. I confess that this happens to me often. Diane can attest to this, especially when I'm working on a project. I tend to be so laser-focused on getting the task done that someone has to like force me to eat. Or when I go off in the river fishing, time just passes. And then I realize, wow, I didn't have breakfast, and it's already 3, three o'clock. But here in this passage, Jesus is so caught up in the salvation of souls. He's so caught up in the witness of the gospel that his physical hunger and thirst go away because his spiritual hunger and thirst is satisfied. So he says to the disciples, I have food that you do not know about. We've seen Jesus talking this way before, haven't we? In the gospels. He often speaks on this spiritual level while using earthly metaphors. Remember, Jesus said to the Jews after he cleansed the temple, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And what do they say? (laughs) It's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're gonna raise it up in three days? Jesus was speaking on a spiritual level talking about the destruction of his body. And yet the Jews is thinking he's talking about the earthly temple. Or remember with Nicodemus, what does Jesus tell Nicodemus? You must be born again. And what does Nicodemus say? How can I enter a second time into my mother's womb? Jesus is speaking on that heavenly level. He's not speaking on that earthly level of being born physically. He's talking about being born from above born spiritually and then with this woman at the well he offers this woman living water and promises that he'll quench her thirst forever and so she says sir give me this water so not, i won't be thirsty so i won't have to come to this well over and over again we see jesus using these earthly metaphors to speak of spiritual truths the disciples are thinking on this earthly level. Jesus is talking on a spiritual level. And his heart has been fed. He wasn't denying the need of food, but he's pointing to something that is even more important, pointing to something that's greater. Look at the verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The concern of Jesus was for spiritual food, specifically to do the will and work of God. And this will and work that Jesus is talking about is only unique to him. I want that to be super clear. This is unique to Jesus. How do we know that this is unique? Because if we look at John chapter 17, where Jesus is praying to the Father and he has the cross in mind. He knows what he's come to do, to live a life that we couldn't live. And he's gonna take on the wrath and punishment for sin for all who believe. What does he say to the Father in John chapter 17, verse 14? He says, Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, his work. And then when he hangs on the cross, what does he say? It is finished. He declares boldly that there's nothing else to do. Redemption has been accomplished. It's been paid in full. And so Jesus here in verse 34 is talking about his own unique calling he alone will go to the cross and bear the weight of our sins upon his shoulders. We cannot do that. He alone has to suffer and die bearing the curse of God that we deserved. We cannot bear that. There's only one savior who can do this work and eat this food. And he is the savior that we all need. Jesus understood why he came into the world. Nothing, nothing was going to stop him from doing what his father had told him to do. And in his commentary on this passage, J.C. Ryle says this, Take comfort in the thought that Jesus Christ never changes. He that sat by that well of Samaria and found it meat and drink to do good to an ignorant soul is always in one mind. High in heaven at God's right hand, he still delights to save sinners and still approves zeal and labor in the cause of God. The work of the missionary and the evangelist may be despised and ridiculed in many quarters, but while man is mocking Christ is well pleased. Thanks be to God, Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus ultimately accomplished God's work on the cross, and it will always be finished. But doing the Lord's work should be the sustenance that we desire as well. For those of us who have been saved by Jesus, we're called to follow in Christ's example. And so now Jesus has sent us to be witnesses, to share the gospel to a lost and dying world. And yet we often are like these disciples, focused on the temporary, focused on ourselves, ignoring the will of God in order to pursue our own dreams and passions, not realizing that we would have way more joy and way more satisfaction if we focused on what God has called us to do. So my question to you this morning is, do you desire the food of doing the will of him who sent you? Do you desire the food of doing the will of him who sent you? There are times in our lives when, when we will have to go without because sharing the gospel is more important. And so how do, how do you deal with these interruptions in life? When, when there's gospel opportunities right in front of your face, do you take them? May our food be primarily doing the will of God by witnessing about Jesus. So we have seen the food for witnessing. Now we'll look at the focus of witnessing. Jesus switches metaphors in verse 35. He goes from talking about food to a harvest. All right, so now keep in mind, this woman has gone back to her city and invited others to come and see Jesus. And Jesus and his disciples are at this well, and there are people coming out to see Jesus. And most likely, the disciples can see the people coming at a distance. And Jesus says to his disciples in verse 35, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Jesus is using this illustration of a grain harvest. He says, you guys have this saying that it takes four months in order to have a harvest. So you you plant, then God waters the ground, he gives sunlight, and then four months later, you have food. That's how a normal harvest works. But Jesus says, look. Notice in verse 35, Jesus uses three verbs in a row. He says, look, lift up your eyes and see. See what? But the fields are white for harvest. But Jesus isn't talking about a grain harvest here. He's talking about a harvest of people. Jesus tells his disciples to quit looking down upon the earth and the affairs of the world, but instead to look up and see that people are ripe for the gospel. And so remember, the people of the town are coming to Jesus, and they were probably wearing white robes. And so on the horizon, the disciples see these people coming dressed in white. The fields are white for harvest. Here the disciples are being taught and we are being taught that we need to be ready because the harvest of the gospel is not like that harvest of crops. The harvest here is immediate. That's why it's so important for us to be witnesses to those around us. Yes, I could hear the, but, but, but. Yes, there's going to be an increasingly hostile culture around us. Yes, our conversations are going to be difficult. We may be slandered. We may be ridiculed. We may be persecuted. But there's something else going on. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to tell us. Tell his disciples and then tell us. Because as our culture increasingly becomes secular and more materialistic, it's going to prove to people to be false and empty and hollow. And so that means that there are going to be many people around us who are quietly hungering and thirsting for the content of the gospel. There's a harvest already among us. Since Jesus has now come to this earth and his spirit is working in the lives of people, there are those who are developing a thirst for God, a sense of their sin, a deep loneliness and purpose, a, a true desire for real purpose in life. And so we, we must look and see that the field's are white for harvest. And look at what Jesus says in verse 36. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. We benefit from participating in the harvest. As we reap, as we share the gospel, as we bring people to Jesus, we get to participate And the work that God is doing at bringing people from spiritual death to life. Which will give us joy. Which will give us purpose. And then in the second half of this verse, it says that the sower and reaper are rejoicing together. That sort of day is what the prophets said would happen when the Messiah would come. In Amos chapter 9 verse 13 it says, "Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the ploughman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. So this ploughman and the, the reaper are fumbling all over each other, just like the one who sows the seed for the grapes, and the one who treads out the grapes. Things are happening so quickly, so miraculously, so amazingly that the sower is sowing seed and the reaper is bringing in the harvest all at the same time. There's no delay. This is a work of God. And that's what's happening here with the Samaritans. People are coming to Jesus. And then in verse 37, for here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. Others have labored And you have entered into their labor. Jesus makes the point that we will often be reaping what others have sown. Jesus and this woman had sown the gospel, and now the disciples will reap the harvest. And think about this. This is all happening on the same day. good to be reminded that if God uses your witness to save someone, realize that you are most likely reaping where someone else has sown. I've been thinking about my own testimony. There was a pastor in Carbondale, Illinois, who witnessed to me. I didn't believe then, but a seed was sown. And then a drummer who I met in high school Witnessed to me. Another seed was sown. And then a youth pastor asked me to play guitar on the youth worship team band, which I wouldn't recommend for any other church, but God worked. And another seed was sown. And then I was off at Bible college, and a retired military chaplain witnessed by clarifying the gospel, and boom, in that classroom. Yes, that's it. That's what I believe. But others had sown before him. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's important to point out that rapid conversions and revival sometimes happen when we witness because we're reaping. We're reaping. And yet, other times, they don't happen because we're sowing. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6-8, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Sometimes we'll sow, but not reap. And other times we will reap where others have sown, And at the end of the day, it is the Lord alone who can give faith to someone who's spiritually dead. Salvation is a work of God's grace toward whomever he chooses to give it. Richard Phillips says this, even when we do not see the results for which we long, when our witness does not apparently lead to faith and salvation, we can rejoice to know that others may come and reap from our witness. How awesome is that? So never lose heart. You may reap. To God be the glory. You may sow and nothing happens. To God be the glory. Because who knows who's going to reap from that sowing. We must lift up our eyes and see the fields are white for harvest now is the time for sowing. Now is the time for reaping. Now is the time for witnessing. Now is the time for sharing our faith and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this leads us to our last section, the fruit of witnessing. What was the fruit of, of the witnessing of Jesus and this Samaritan woman? Look at verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. This woman is the least likely person to be used by Jesus. This Gentile woman is the first one used to bring about a revival in a Gentile land. How? How does she do this? What evangelism book did she read? What conference did she go to to develop her methods of evangelism? The only thing she's able to say here is come and see. She was a thirsty sinner who had drunk from the living water and was now inviting others to come and see. Bearing witness does not have to be complicated. Sometimes it's as easy as, Would you come to church with me? Would you want to come to our small group or Bible study? Would you come and read the Bible with me? And so as you witness to people, just saying come and see can be very powerful. And I know that there are some who would try to say that this type of language should not be used in evangelism. You need to share the gospel this way, this way, this way. But hey, Jesus put this in the Bible, right? This is a biblical way of evangelism to say, come and see Jesus. You don't have to have all the answers. Invite others to come and see what you have seen for yourself. The people she went back to knew her sinful life. And she says, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. She was changed. She acknowledged her sin. And it was evident that the Lord had transformed her. She shared what she knew and then brought people to Jesus. That's all you have to do. Share what you know and bring people to Jesus. This is the aim of witnessing to bring people to Jesus so that they would believe. That should be the aim of each and every one of us who calls ourselves a Christian. Has that been your aim? Many believed because of her testimony. Look at verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. They wanted Jesus to teach them. They wanted to hear his word. And so Jesus stays with them for two days. Could you imagine the questions that they asked him? Could you imagine what he told them? What he revealed to them? How he opened their eyes? It's kind of like those two men on that road to Emmaus. When they reflected on it, they said, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And we often think of that moment and wish that we were one of those two men to be on that walk with Jesus. Wow. Or to be like these Samaritans and spend two days with Jesus. And yet we forget that we get more than two days. We have... Lots of Lord's Day Sundays where we get to hear from Jesus. Every time you open up your Bible, you are reading the words of Jesus. These people only had a couple days. You can have every day of your life. He's teaching you as he taught the Samaritans. And think about what this says about who Jesus is that these Samaritans urge a Jewish rabbi to stay with them. That was unheard of. And what was the result? Look at verse 41. And many more believed because of his own word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. They don't say this to discredit her testimony, but to verify what she had told them. They heard for themselves and then proclaimed Jesus to be what? The Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. What are they saying here? They're saying here that Jesus is not only the Savior of the Jews. They say, we believe that he is the savior of the world. He opened their eyes to see him. How amazing is this, is that all these people from this village came to believe in Jesus because of this woman's faithful witness. He is the savior of any who will believe in him. And so now the great question is this, Have you seen him? Do you believe him to be the savior? If you've never trusted in Christ yourself, I urge you to do so now. When the Samaritans say here that Jesus is the savior of the world, they didn't mean that everyone in the world will be saved. The gospel of John is very clear that many will die in sin John warns in John 3:18, "Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God." So what the Samaritans mean is that Jesus is a savior for even the most unlikely people, like themselves. What they're saying is that there's no sins that cannot be washed away by the blood of the lamb. What they're saying is that there's no rebel who is so lost that God will not receive him into his family. And so if you are here this morning and you do not believe in Jesus, I urge you to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. Believe that he is the savior of the world. And then I have a second great question for those who do believe. Are you calling people to come and see? That's the mission of the church. And this is the will of God for each and every one of us who believes in Jesus. Are you calling people to come and see? This is why God has placed this church specifically here in Elgin. Because there is a whole bunch of people in our city who don't believe in Jesus. And we need to go tell them. We need to go tell them. We have been called. We have a mission. We have a purpose in this life to go tell them to come and see, to come and see a man who has told me all that I ever did Come see a man who has uncovered my sin and has given me life by his death. Do you have a hunger for the spiritual food of doing the will of God? If you love Jesus and you believe him to be the Savior of the world, then tell others about him. Invite them to simply come and see. Let's be a people who speak always about Jesus. Amen? Faithful witnesses are hungry for God's will. They see the harvest and invite others to come to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, who is truly the Savior of the world. We thank you for the grace that we have received and for those who you use to witness to us in the past. Lord, we confess that we often lose sight of what you have called us to do. So this morning we ask that you would give us a boldness, that you would give us a confidence, that you would give us a burning desire to invite others to come and see Jesus. Help us to see the fields that are white for harvest Help us to see the deep thirst of the dying world around us and give us a renewed energy and excitement for Jesus and the message that we know so that it would be the message that we share. In Jesus' name, amen.